Good morning, City Light. Love you, eight o'clockers. Just so good to spend the morning with you guys. Like Chuck said, my name is Doug, and I get to be one of the pastors for our church. Last Sunday was an epic celebration for our church. Wasn't it amazing? We multiplied gatherings, and so between us and our church plants, we had seven gatherings in three different cities that welcomed over 1,200 people to worship the risen King, Jesus Christ. Just awesome, right? God is on the move, and I'm thrilled that we get to be a part of what He is doing in Council Bluffs, in Southwest Iowa, in Kansas City. Now, this Sunday, we start a new series of messages looking at a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And as you may already know, it is a love book, all right? And I think all of us, even dudes in the room, we enjoy a good love story as long as it's not too cheesy. So I should probably apologize from the outset on this one, okay? It was the warm, bright summer of 1989. I was a fourth grader, and I was attending vacation Bible school, a prime place for love and romance. And sitting across the bean-shaped kitty table from me was her, the woman of my fourth grade dreams, the girl that I had a crush on. And on the first day of vacation Bible school, I asked one of my friends to talk to one of her friends to ask her if she would go steady with me. And then for the days coming, we sat at the same table, we learned the same Bible verses, we sung the same songs, but I never got a response back. Then finally, on Thursday of VBS, her friend told my friend who told me that she would go steady with me. She said yes. And so on Friday, we sang Father Abraham together and did the motions together, right? And we did the Bible verse crossword puzzle together. It's the stuff that love legends are made of, you know? But then VBS was over. And two weeks later, on a dark and foreboding Sunday morning, I don't remember the weather, but I'm sure it was dark and foreboding, she sent her friend to tell my friend that she was breaking up with me because she said I was too prude. That, that's what she said, okay? I was too prude. But what I heard in my head is that I was too prune, like my skin was old and wrinkly, like I'd been swimming in a swimming pool for too long. So I thought, well, you know what? You can just go find somebody else to go steady with who has better skin because I'm pretty confident in my own skin and I don't think I'm too prune, okay? It wasn't until years later that I heard that word prude again And I thought back to my fourth grade crush at VBS, all that, and I actually looked up the word in the dictionary. Here it is, prude, being excessively attentive to propriety, showing extreme modesty. And it dawned on me, oh, she broke up with me because I didn't kiss her, because I didn't make out with her, right? Like I was too boring, I was too modest, I was too prude. I mean, what kind of VBS did she think that was, you know? Like I was too prude. Well, I think many times we see the Bible as too prude, too boring, too modest, too bound up. It's not 
free. It's not liberated. So when topics like love and marriage and dating and romance and sex and intimacy come up, we not only ignore the Bible, it's like we almost break up with the Bible, right? It's like we send a note to God saying, um, I already know what you're going to say here, and I'm not interested. You're too prude. But listen, City Light, as we go through this song, this book, this song of songs, I think we're going to find it is anything but prude. Written in these pages, this love song of all love songs is passion, right? Like, just look at chapter 1, verse 2. Chuck read this for us, where the bride, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. That's passion, y'all, okay? That's not even American. That is French kissing, okay? (laughs) They're for real here. Or if you go down a little bit to chapter uh, 2, verse 5, it's the bride again, and she says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love, right? It's like teenage drama taken to a whole new level. This wife is so in love with her husband and so passionate for him that she has to be sustained with raisins, right? This is passion, y'all, a singing, dancing, embracing, touching, kissing, and more kind of passion between a wife and her husband, between a woman and her man. And God doesn't shame them for their passion. He doesn't say, put on your clothes and cool it down. No, God celebrates their passion. He encourages their passion in the purity of marriage. And in a culture where love and sex and dating and marriage, they are some of the most abundant yet avoided topics right? They're, they're everywhere, yet they are taboo. In a culture, in a time like that, we need to hear God's word. Whether you are single, divorced, widowed, widower, whether you are married and your love life needs to heat up, or you are single and your love life needs to cool down, we all need to hear God's word. And thankfully, God is not silent. God speaks into these issues. God even sings into these issues, the song of songs. And my job this morning is to introduce this book to you, the song of songs. And so I'm going to boil the whole book down to one sentence, all right? Here's your cliff notes for the rest of the sermon series. Here it is. This is a song about human love written to give us wisdom and found in the Bible. I know it's a long sentence, but it's only one. I stole that sentence from Pastor Douglas Sean O'Donnell, who wrote a great book about the Song of Songs. Let me repeat it for you again. This is a song about human love written to give us wisdom, and it's found in the Bible. So let's just walk through it piece by piece. First, this is A song, which is pretty clear in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, the song of songs, which is Solomon. So it's a song, right? It's not an essay. It's not a biographical profile on a dating app with certain information about the person. It's not a theological paper, right? It's not an entry on Wikipedia. It's 
poetry. It's a song. And most likely, it was a song written to be sung at ancient Hebrew weddings. So let me explain how this would go. Like today, in the United States of America, 21st century today, whenever we plan a wedding and we invite our friends, that sort of thing, we usually say something like, the wedding's going to be Saturday, May 4th at 4 p.m., reception to follow. And if you get that invitation and you can make it, then you show up to the church building at four o'clock and you go to the wedding, then you go to the reception. And if you're like a real party animal, you stay at that reception until like 11 o'clock or maybe even midnight if the DJ's really good and the party's like really fun, right? And throughout the wedding and the reception, you hear songs. You maybe even sing some songs. Maybe you even dance to some songs. I hope you dance or at least attempt to dance, right? But in ancient Hebrew culture, that's not how weddings went. Oh, no. They were very different, right? Weddings didn't start at Saturday at 4 p.m. and end that Saturday at 11 p.m. Instead, weddings would start Saturday at 4 p.m. and they'd go until the following Saturday at 11 p.m., right? Like seven days later. It was a week-long celebration. Bring your suitcase because you're going to be staying a while. It was a huge celebration. And from the moment that the husband and wife, the groom and bride, from the moment they exchanged vows all through the week-long celebration and reception, there were songs and dancing, songs and eating, songs and stories, songs and the couple running away to their wedding chamber for a little while, songs and the couple comes out of their wedding chamber back to the party, songs and dancing, songs and eating. I think you get the idea, right? The song of songs was a song written to be sung to celebrate the the wedding bliss, the marital passion between a man and woman just united in marriage. It was meant to be sung during that week-long reception, celebration. And so there'd be times whenever the bass would be thumping and times when the strings are soaring and the lead female vocals are beautiful and the man responds with his tenor or bass and uh, to respond and ring out. And so it was a song, okay? Now, what does that mean for you and I today? Just think about this. When the subject of love comes up here in the Bible in the Song of Songs. It's expressed through a song, which means that God delights in our experience of love. God doesn't merely keep a record of love, right? Like so-and-so engaged on July 30, so-and-so married on December 17th. So-and-so's first kid about a year later. Like, he doesn't merely tolerate love. He doesn't merely permit love. God delights in our experience of love. Yes, love is a commitment that is expressed through vows at a wedding. Love is so much more than merely a feeling, but make no mistake, love is an experience. It is a delight. It is a passion. Love is a song. It's meant to be a song. In mine and Whitney's bedroom, there hangs a photo of she and I dancing at our wedding reception. And I'm holding her close, pulling her in, and uh, we danced to one of our favorite songs 
um, at the time, still one of our favorite songs. It's called Standing in Your Silence. And every so often, we'll pull up that song on Spotify, not nearly often enough, but we'll pull it up and listen to it again. And so, indulge me. Give me 15 seconds just to listen to the song with me, okay? Let's go. of the song. When I hear that song, it reminds me of my commitments, my vows to Whitney. But you know what else it does? It brings back the thrill of dancing to that song with Whitney, the the joy of our wedding day, just the beauty of her beaming face and the twinkling lights that surrounded the dance floor and the pure white of her wedding dress and just like the, the passion that we felt between us, the way we were embracing and slowly turning on the dance floor. It brings all those emotions and all that experience back to me. You see, a song isn't meant to merely inform. A song wasn't meant to merely educate. A song is meant to excite. It's meant to awake something within us, to bring something out that wouldn't come out otherwise. And I think some of us, we might be at a stage in marriage where we need to remember our song. Right? We need to remember the passion that we have had. Some of us, we need to go back and listen to the first song we ever danced to. We need to go back and listen to the song we sang at our wedding. We need to go back and listen to that song that we put on repeat after the first date, right? And we got it memorized within a few hours. We need to remember that God doesn't merely intend for you to stay married, though he intends for you to stay married. But God intends for you to delight in your spouse. God intends for you to have a passionate pursuit and a love delight in your spouse for your marriage, to, for your love to be a song. And I think there's others of us in the room, you may be at a stage in your singleness where you need to just hear and you need to remember that you are worth singing about. Right? You've, you've been on dates or had um, relationships where they may have taken advantage of you or maybe they merely tolerated you, but they didn't delight in you. And you need to just remember that God doesn't intend for you to be merely tolerated. He intends for you to be delighted in, to be enjoyed. And the Song of Songs is going to come around over and over again and remind you it is so worth waiting for someone who will delight in you, someone who will sing the song of love with you. So first thing, the song of songs is a song. Second, it's about human love, about the love between a man and a woman, a, a husband and his wife, okay? So the song of songs isn't like a spiritual metaphor where we have to figure out how the man is Jesus and the bride is the church. That was a really popular interpretation of this book for centuries, okay? But trust me, it gets really weird really fast if you try to read the book with that interpretation, okay? The Song of Songs is about human love, and furthermore, it's written and sung using generic pronouns, he and she, 
to where the he can be any man and the she can be any woman. For example, look at chapter 1, verse 3, where this is she talking, the bride. She says, your anointing oils are fragrant. He had good cologne, okay? Your name is oil poured out. She's saying he has good character also. Therefore, virgins love you. All the ladies like this guy that she just got married to, all the ladies approve of that because he has good hygiene and he has good character. But notice what the bride does here. She doesn't name her husband. Instead, she just says, your name is oil poured out so that any woman can identify and any man can identify. Or go back to chapter 5, verse 1. This is the groom talking, he, and he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. And again, he doesn't name his wife here. Instead, he refers to her as his sister, his bride. Now, not his biological sister, but any husband can think back to moments in his marriage where he was so close to his wife and they shared so much. It's like they did life together and all these awesome moments where everything was shared. It's like, oh man, she's like my sister. And yet at the same time, he adores her and delights in her and passionately pursues her as his bride. And so the groom here doesn't name his wife. Instead, he says, my sister, my bride, using generic pronoun. So the Song of Songs is a song about human love that any of us can identify with. And if you're single in the room, don't worry, you got a part to sing in this song as well, right? Like if you're single, you may just enjoy listening into this song. And like single men, you may go, oh, I need to get some good hygiene and good character so I can get a good girl, right? Like that's a good way to listen to the song. But also as we read through the song, you're going to see these sections called others. And those others were like their group of friends. It was the wedding party, the bridesmaid and the groomsmen. It was their friends who were saying, yes, we love it. Our friends are getting married and enjoying love together. You are spoken to and your voice matters in this love story, this love song. And see, like, as I've studied the song of songs, it's been so good. It, it's just hit me. God cares about human love. And some of us this morning, you may, may need to hear that like this. God cares about human love. As in, you try so hard to be spiritual and so busy doing spiritual things that we, forgot, we forget to nurture and celebrate human love. I'll be the first to raise my hand here, okay? I, I do this far too often in my marriage. Like Whitney and I, my wife and I, we have five kids, two dogs, and at the moment, eight puppies, which are for sale, by the way. And over the last 14 and a half years, we have lived in, I think, six different houses, three cities, three states. We've had 13 different jobs, served five different churches, and we've changed approximately 25,482 diapers, give or take 500, okay? We have uh, led countless different Bible studies and small groups, hosted hundreds of people into our house. We have led out in ministry in so many different ways. We're both followers of Jesus, and we want to raise our children to love Jesus and love his church and share his good news. But can I be honest with you guys? Like, in the midst of all that good stuff, sometimes I can forget that God cares about our human love. 
God cares about the human connection, the human passion, the physical intimacy and romance between Whitney and I. And maybe this morning you need to hear that God cares about human love. He cares about the love that you share with your spouse. Your spouse is a gift to you. And the love that you guys share, it's more important than the laundry getting done or the promotion at work or you having the City Light Kids curriculum perfectly memorized before you show up on a Sunday, okay? I'm going to get in trouble with the kids staff for saying that, but you know what I mean, right? Like God cares about human love. And maybe this morning you need to hear that like this. God cares about human love. God cares about human love, as in you take advantage of others. You use them for your own gain. You act romantic long enough to lead them on, but then you leave them behind. You don't genuinely care for the other person. You just want to use them for your own pleasure. You want to get your own gain at their cost. And you need to hear that God cares about human love. It matters how you treat that woman. It matters to him how you treat that man. It matters so much to him that he speaks into it. He even sings about it. And for you, the Song of Songs is a call to you to stop using the dating world for your own pleasure or stop using your spouse for your own pleasure. And instead, you need to repent and listen to the God who cares about human love. It matters to him. So the Song of Songs is a song about human love. And thirdly, it is written to give us wisdom, okay? I mean, the song is so exciting. It's fun, right? It's about human love between a husband and his wife. But it also is written to give us wisdom for that human love, to give us boundaries and parameters that will make that human love better. Now, whoever wrote this, uh, the Song of Songs, it's kind of debated. I personally believe it was most likely King Solomon who wrote the Song of Songs. King Solomon was a mega rich, mega famous king who, according to 1 Kings 11 verse 3, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you don't know what a concubine is, then ask your parents on the way home, okay? You're welcome, mom and dad. But either way, I think it's safe to say that King Solomon royally messed up his love life. He took the bachelor to a whole new level, okay? And I think that Solomon wrote this song later in his life, like in his later years, when he looked back with regret on how he had messed it all up. It's like Solomon regretted that he didn't listen to God's wisdom about this love that could be shared between one man and one woman. It's his longing that he would have been faithful to just one woman, just one wife, and enjoyed the passion that can only be shared between a man and woman for life. I think Solomon regretted his sexual escapades and his mistreatment of women. And so he's saying, I'm going to write this song so that I can give wisdom to anyone who would listen. It's like Solomon saying, guys, I messed this up. Don't do what I did. Instead, let me tell you a love story that is intoxicating and it's free and it's passionate so beautiful and so glorious that you'll hear it and you'll want to make changes in your life to experience that kind 
of love story. I think that's why in chapter 2, verse 7, we read, this is the bride talking. She says, I adjure you. I urge you, right? Like she's saying, if I could get the Bible out and make you put your hand on the Bible and swear an oath, this is what I would make you swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Other passages in the song, it says, don't stir up or awaken love until the time is right. In other words, this passionate love between a married man and his wife is so good. It is so strong and it is so powerful that it must be protected. It is passion and purity. So let me just state this very clearly and be obvious with this. The sexual freedom and passionate love found in the Song of Songs is within the covenant of marriage. From the first word to the last word sung, the man and woman are married. Now, their sex is fantastic, okay? Their, their longing for one another is intense, and their freedom, I mean, it's intoxicating, okay? But all of that happens within the boundaries of marriage, not without marriage. All throughout the Bible, and we see it so clearly here in the Song of Songs, Sex is this gift. It's a wonderful gift that's meant to be unwrapped and enjoyed and explored within the covenant-bounded um, uh, marriage between one man and one woman. Now, I know that sounds limiting. That sounds archaic. That sounds old school. Dare I say, it sounds prude. But I think Douglas Sean O'Donnell, he helps us here see how this actually isn't proved in the Song of Songs. He writes this. Notice how Solomon artistically does this. The admonition to save sex for marriage does not come through the voice of a celibate prophet, a learned rabbi, a stern sage, or even a father or mother, but through the voice of a newlywed, the bride. The protagonist in the poem, like the lead voice is a young bride and this newly married woman comes out of her wedding chamber, love scene after love scene to tell the young ladies and men too, wait for this, what I'm enjoying, wait for this, it's worth it. All the passion was worth all the purity and all the purity that you fight for leads to all the marital passion. How so? Let's just look at this a little bit. If you're single right now, why fight for purity, right? Like, why aim to save sex for marriage? I think the bride answers it for us in chapter 2, verse 16. She sings this. She says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. And later on in chapter 6, verse 3, she sings, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. She rejoices that her husband is hers and no one else's. 
And she rejoices that she belongs to her husband and no one else. So she's not saying, I'm going to do this in the hopes that then he will become mine. And he's not saying, I need you to do this or I might leave you. And they're not saying, let's take a test drive, try it before we buy it. But instead, they're enjoying that physical intimacy in the safe covenant marriage love. She's able to give her body and her heart to him because of his covenant, the committed love that he has towards her expressed through the vows in a wedding. She's able to say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. God's wisdom in his word is that sex is a wonderful gift meant to be enjoyed in the freedom of marriage. So, the Song of Songs is a song. It's about human love. It's written to give us wisdom in those areas. And fourth, it's found in the Bible, which is probably pretty obvious to you and I today, right? Because, like, we're sitting in a church building, and we've got our Bibles open, or you've got your Bible app open. But let's just hypothetically say that you were, like, digging around with some archaeologists over in the Middle East, just kind of exploring things, and all of a sudden, you find this random scroll. You unroll it, and you read these words. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. If you read that in a scroll, you probably think, I didn't know Whitney saw Doug all the, all the way back then. <laughs> I'm kidding. I appreciate the college students like that. Actually, what you'd probably think is, I didn't know they had romance novels back then. They need to turn it down a little bit, right? Or let's just say you're scrolling through Instagram, looking at images of your friends and celebrities, and you saw these words come along. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. If you saw that on your Instagram feed, you'd be like, I should probably start, stop following them before another one of their images shows up in our feed, right? You're like, what in the world is happening here? But it's in the Bible, y'all. These words are in the Song of Songs. And last, I, last time I checked, every word of God in the Bible is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for some training in righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's do some training in righteousness, right? Some of y'all, after the kids go to bed tonight, you're going to be like, mm, want to train in righteousness, right? <laughs> You're like, it's in the Bible. It's right there. Breathe out by God. It's inspired, honey. You know? Sorry, I'm trying to keep it PG. I may have just crossed over to PG-13 there. The flip side, the flip side is that the Song of Songs, as good as it is, as passionate as it is, it only finds its meaning in the larger story of the Bible. And that story is the story of God's passionate love pursuit of his people. You see, God created man and woman to enjoy close relationship with each other, but to also enjoy close relationship 
with him, but the first man and woman uh, left him. They turned away from him. They traded him in for sin and rebellion and religion, but God's passionate love pursuit of people kept going. He loved them with an enduring love. He pursued them with an enduring love. He was faithful to them even when they were unfaithful to him. And so his love took him all the way to the point of death. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. It was like a loud shout. It was a loud song from God to his people saying, I love you and I will love you forever. So that now any of us, any person who turns from their sin, from their rebellion and their religion, they turn from that and they turn to Jesus and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. They receive his love. Anyone who does does that gets to experience the love of God, intimacy with God the Father, security in his commitment to you and his pursuit of you. You see, as good as human love is, it isn't as good as the love of Jesus. And as good as it is for a man and woman to be committed to each other till only death parts them, it isn't as good as Jesus's committed love to his church past death all the way through all of eternity. And here's what that means. That means if you're unmarried, single, divorced, widowed, widower, you can still get caught up in God's better love story. You can still find yourself raptured up in his passionate pursuit of people to express his love to them. That means if you're married, whether your marriage is cold or it's hot right now, you can still get caught up in God's better love story. You see, Song of Songs is good, but it's not as good as Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Would you pray with me? And let's just ask God, even now, to do some work in our hearts. Could you invite him to begin speaking to you? Ask him to express his heart and his commitment to you. Oh, Father God, would you be speaking to us? Would you help us to hear your voice and trust your love, trust your heart towards us? Holy Spirit, would you come and be our shepherd, our pastor, who knows what each of us need to hear, knows how to love us and lead us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and speak. And this morning, church, I just, I felt led to pray for a few different kinds of folks. And one of them is maybe singles in the room who you're fighting for purity and you're asking for help and but you kind of feel like, man, you're always the bridesmaid, never quite the bride. Always the groomsman, never the groom. And you just feel like maybe God is dragging his feet or is something wrong, is something off. And you just need to hear from God this morning. But there's an amazing value to who you are that you are worth singing about. You are worth delighting in. That you can still be caught up in the love story of God whether you get married years from now or you never get married, oh, God delights in you and you can be part of his plans and the expression of his love. I'm just praying that you will have ears to hear that from him. And there's others in this room who you may feel like you're stuck in your marriage. 
Maybe there were good moments when you guys had a song that you loved to dance to, when there was a passion between you, but those flames have kind of died down and you just kind of feel stuck. You're just hanging on because there's a cultural expectation that you wouldn't get divorced or because you know and it's true in the Bible that you shouldn't get divorced. But you just feel stuck. You feel passionless. And oh, Father, I just pray for those people. Would you give them the courage to hope? Would you give them a vision that you're still in their marriage and because you're in their marriage, there's always hope. It's worth the investment. It's worth the love. It's worth the commitment. It's also worth pursuing passion together. Would you give them fresh hope, Father? Then I also want to pray for those who you hear this and you hear God's wisdom about how sex is for marriage. You just feel like, oh man, that's not me. And you, you, you feel uh, like you messed up, maybe like Solomon. And you're afraid, does God still love me? Does he still delight in me? Is this okay? You just need to hear God's reassuring voice this morning that he delights in you because of your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that he is for you, that he can bring healing, he can bring wholeness, he can bring restoration, he can bring redemption, and he can bring glory to his name through your life and your story. It's never too late. God's always in the business of redeeming. Oh, Father, would you be speaking to each of us whatever we need to hear from you? Holy Spirit, come be our shepherd, our pastor, and speak personally to us Would you awaken passion in us? Would you give us a commitment to purity? All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.